this morning. And I didn't hear, is it a baby girl or baby boy? Baby girl. Girl, wow. What's it? Jaden? Jada. Jada Grace. Cool. Three girls, man, Tori, bro. <laughs> now that's exciting. So fortunately, my God's plan that we had already talked about me talking on this week, so it worked out pretty well for me to fill in. Um, anyways, yeah, my name's Todd Watkins. My wife and I are members here at the church. We have three kids. Uh, and I'm excited to share today on Genesis chapter 39. We're looking uh, at the life of Joseph. And I don't know about you all, but um, this study that we've been going through in Genesis has been a real, uh, just a refresher for me in my life and encouragement to me. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of insights to God and into the scripture as we've been going through these uh, different teachings. One thing that's really stuck out to me pretty strongly is how God is not only the author of this story, uh, but he's the main character of the story and that he's sovereign over the story, that he is working within the context of all these other characters to carry out his ultimate purpose and plan through the story of Genesis that's going to run throughout all of history, actually, into today. And it's just amazing to see it. You know, like these, the, the, the characters are all mess-ups and goofs, right? And, and yet, God, they don't thwart God's plan. You know, Adam and Eve, man, screwed up big time, and yet God's going to still work his plan out. Abraham messes up, God's still going to work his plan out. Jacob messes up, God's still working his plan out. So it gives me a lot of hope for my messed up life that God's going to work his plan out. And then all of us knowing that, man, God is bigger than our mistakes. And he is, he is sovereign over it to work it all for good. It's really encouraging. Uh, I want to just give us a little side note. I don't think there are kids in the room today, but there is some adult content today just so you know if there are kids that you don't, if you don't want them uh, in the room. My kids are in Sunday school today. They usually hang out, but I thought today would be a good one for them to be in Sunday school. Um, so we're going to look uh, kind of, this story is a little bit of a contrast from last week with Judah. And we've got Judah story kind of like, inter, just kind of thrown in there in between, started with Joseph, then we got Judah, then we got Joseph again. And there's a real stark contrast here between these two characters coming from the same family kind of a messed up family. Thank you, God, that we're all from messed up families and you can still use us, Lord. That's good. Judah is the guy who says, I don't want to be involved in my family anymore. And he leaves it. And he's kind of angry at God, kind of doesn't want to be a part of this, whatever, you know, this, this Jewish Christian family. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want. Joseph is a different kind of guy. He doesn't leave his family, but he's pulled out of his family. He's not, uh, and he doesn't end up being bitter at God, but he ends up really being following and being obedient to God in the midst of some very difficult um, circumstances. And we see that God is not going to leave Joseph in this trial, and that Joseph, even though he had every right to become angry and bitter towards God, he won't. I mean, if you can put yourself in this man's shoes, this is a young man's shoes for a moment, a 17-year-old. Because everything in this guy's life has been ripped out from underneath him, right? I mean, all his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his, his thoughts of the future, his, all of his comforts, all of his norms, all of his loved ones, everything he ever knew is absolutely, utterly pulled out from under him. And those which is from his own family, his own blood, sell, them, sell him to be a slave into another land, 
into shackles, and he's ripped out of it. He's put into another culture which he knows no one, completely different culture from which he grew up in, and he's thrown in to become a slave. I mean, if this guy had a right, a right to be angry at God, you think it might be him. A, a guy that could be bitter at God or blame God or why God? Why did you do this to me? And, and, and if this guy had, a, had any reason to turn away from God and to do his own thing, if anyone in the Bible, we would think this is kind of one of the guys, right? All the other guys, they say, man, they just are stupid making dumb mistakes. But this guy has, seems like, man, you know, he kind of has a reason to be pretty upset with God. And yet we'll see his attitude is different. And what God does with him through this is going to be very different than what, he did, uh, what Judah did. So let's pray and then... Um, We'll, we'll open up to uh, Genesis 39. Uh, Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak and share here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the lessons that are inside your word. We thank you for the book of Genesis. It's very profound and there's very deep uh, meaning to who you are and who we are and the work that you're doing in this world and then also what it applies to our lives and how you want to do your work in and through our lives in the world today. So I pray just today we could have ears to hear your word and that your spirit would speak to the hearts and minds of the men and women here, however you need to speak to them in whatever place or situation they're at. Uh, I just ask that in, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, let's start off in verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Pontifer, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. So Pontifer buys him. Pontifer's the chief of police kind of guy in our kind of terms. He's the captain of the guard that oversees, um, you know, all of the, the issues that are going on within Egypt. So he's a very, very important man. And it says in verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a very successful man. And he was in the house of, the, of his Egyptian master, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So we see Joseph goes through this tremendously difficult circumstance. We don't, you know, what is going on in Joseph's mind? You know, everything's, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him, where he's going, and yet the scripture says that God is with Joseph in the midst, midst of this trial. He's with Joseph in the midst of the difficulty. He hasn't abandoned Joseph, though it may seem like on Joseph's side, maybe God abandoned me because of this great trial and difficulty, but God has not abandoned Joseph. Instead, we see that he's with Joseph and he's blessing Joseph, and his blessing's coming through Joseph into the Egyptian's house, and is blessing the Egyptian's house, and all that is in his house, and everything that he had is being blessed, and, and so that the, this Egyptian guy puts everything in his charge. And so we, this, this should bring us back to some memory. We, we go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God gives a promise to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So we're starting to see the pro this promise is being fulfilled through Joseph into another nation, a family of the earth, specifically Potiphar's family, is being blessed. And God is not only going to bless this man's life, but he's going to work through Joseph to bless the entirety of Egypt. And later we'll see in the story that through Egypt, th God is going to use Egypt through Joseph to bless all the nations at that time to provide food for them and to bless his people as well. So God is going to work through Joseph to be a blessing to all the nations at that time in that place. It's a pretty amazing thing. This story is not so much about Joseph and his success as it is about God and his faithfulness to his promise and to fulfill it in and through the lives of his people. God is sovereign over this situation that seems very difficult and probably is very difficult for Joseph. So that later in Joseph's life, when we get to chapter 45, Joseph will say to his brothers, so what you, you know, he'll say this, he says, you did not send me here, it was God. He will become so convinced that God had a plan and a purpose in the midst of all this trial and all this difficulty that it wasn't you, brothers, even though you sold me into slavery. It wasn't you who did it, but it was God. Because God had a plan to bring blessing to the whole world through this man's life. This brings up a difficult theological point that maybe it's very sometimes very hard to wrestle with. And the point is that God puts difficulty into our lives for our good and for the good of others that he may work through us to bless others. That God actually brings the hardship that's in your life, that God brings the difficulty that's in your life for your good to shape you and to prepare you and to work in you to save you for yourself and for the sake of others. It's not your parents who brought the difficulty into your life. It's not your boss that's bringing the difficulty into your life. It's not the government that's bringing difficulty into your life. It's God who's bringing the difficulty into your life. Do we, do we believe that? Can we trust that there's a good God outside of our circumstances that is allowing this to happen to us for a greater purpose in our lives? It's hard to believe. It's hard to trust that. You know, there was a time in my life where I had a lot of angst against a family member in my, uh, in my family. And I had a lot of issues with this particular person because they brought a lot of pain into my life and a lot of hurt into my life. You know, I could, I could well, I always cry when I'm talking. I could well up, you know, with tears. And I have to see now, I have to look back and say, you know, God placed me in this family for this particular reason. He knew this pain was going to come into my life. He knew this hurt was going to come into my life. He knew these struggles were going to come to my life, these struggles that I, I hated in the midst of them. Oh, I've got to put this up. Struggles that were awesome. Struggles that I, that I, I hated when I was in them. Struggles that have affected my life to today. And yet I have to look back and see, you know, it was those very same struggles that ended up drawing me to God, that God got a hold of my life because of those things. God saved my life because of those things. God has worked those things in my life to refine me and make me the man I am today so that I can help other people. God brought that into my life, and God's bringing them into your life to work out a redemptive plan in your life and the lives of others, just like he was in Joseph. And I'll, we'll, I'll touch on it again in a little bit. But another thing we see in this passage is that Joseph was a man 
who in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, he doesn't reject God, and yet somehow he chooses to follow God and honor God and serve God and fear God in the midst of this circumstance. So he reminds us of a Colossians 3, through 24, where it says, bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not in the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, working heartedly as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive that inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. We have lots of challenging circumstances. This, this is written to people in difficult circumstances. I mean, it's not, being a slave is not a good circumstance. Maybe in your situation, you're in a hard circumstance in your workplace, you feel like a slave maybe. You can't get out of it or whatever reason you're in this place. You've got a terrible boss. And, and yet he, he's, Joseph is kind of living this out, this verse out. In this situation, it seems like he's honoring God. He's being faithful with all that he has. He's, he's serving God, and the master sees it. The master says, oh, this guy's a faithful guy. He's a responsible guy. He's a trustworthy guy. He puts everything into his care, and God's blessing and reward is coming to Joseph. As Joseph is honoring the Lord, his blessing then is coming into this family and into the lives of those around him. It says in Psalm 128, verse 1 and 2, Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in his ways, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. I love that verse. It goes on to talk about your family and kids and wife and stuff like that. But it says if, as we fear God, as we walk in his ways, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, and maybe in the midst of difficulty, God's blessing will come into our lives and it will bring blessing and prosperity. And that's what it was doing in the situation. It wasn't like all of a sudden he was removed out of this hard situation, but in the hard situation, God was coming to him and God was bringing good in the middle of it. And the same way, we are blessed to be a blessing in the world. Abraham's descendants were blessed to be a blessing in the world. And God, we as God's people are intended to be blessed by God so that we bring a blessing into the world. In Genesis 41, verse 23, it says, actually, um, the Pharaoh says that the spirit of God is in Joseph. In all of Genesis, no, it's not said about anyone else that the spirit of God is in them except for Joseph. And it's said by a non-believing guy who sees it in this man's life and says, man, God is in this man. Is God's spirit not in us? Are we not born of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling and residing in us? And do you know that God wants to bring a blessing into your family through you as you serve him and honor him and follow him? He wants to bring a blessing through you into your workplace as you serve him and honor him and follow him. He wants to bring a blessing into your neighborhood as you serve him and honor him and follow him. He wants you to be a blessing to your neighbors. And Joseph was this. But it's not just for Joseph. God wants to do that through our lives as well. And so this is going on. And man, there's a lot of good things happening. And there's fruit being born. And, and, and God is blessing and moving. And everything's put into his care. So this may remind us of another story. You know, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. There was a couple that were in a garden. And everything was given into their care. They were given management over all that was God's, and that, yet they were not to touch one thing, and that one thing, of course, was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
and they had a temptation. They were put in a position of goodness and a position of care and management, and yet they had one restraint, one temptation, which they failed in. And so now we're going to see Joseph also is going to be tempted with the one thing that he doesn't have a right to touch. In all the household that he's under its care, there's one thing that he's not supposed to touch. And that one thing is going to present himself to Joseph and try to get him to touch it. So in verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Right? He was a good-looking guy, young man, probably in his 20s at this time, maybe. We don't know exactly. Between 17 and, and probably 24 or so. Young man, he was very successful. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph. And he sa she said, lie with me. And think about this. This young man, right, he, he may not have any opportunities to ever be married in his life. God has done all this, this hard stuff in his life. Here's an opportunity. A woman is presenting himself to him. Right? right? And, and he could just have this woman. But Joseph refused. He says to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, all my master, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put in everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. So here comes the temptation, right? It's a temptation in the Garden of Eden. Okay, what did Eve saw the fruit, and it was attractive to her eye. Here's Joseph, who's handsome in appearance and form, right? She sees it and wants to, her eyes are cast upon it. She desires it. She sees it. It'll, it's something that she wants, and she tries to get it. In Garden of Eden, Eve does that, takes the fruit, eats it, and says to her husband, now you eat it. But here, the Potiphar's wife is like the Eve, but Joseph is like the Adam. Joseph has the opportunity to take it too and eat. Just like we saw Judah last week, he saw and he took, but Joseph doesn't see and he, ta he doesn't take. Joseph is a, a different kind of an example in this moment. He paints a different picture than Adam's fall and Adam's sin, and he refuses he resists the temptation. This word in Hebrew is a very strong word to refuse. He draws a strong line. He's not going to flirt with it. He's going to make a strong line. No, he says. Right? How can I do this to my master? He's given me everything. How can I do this to God? This would be a sin against God. This would be a great wickedness. Joseph fears God. He honors God in this situation. He draws a strong line. He's not compromising. He doesn't kind of say, you know, all right, well, I'll just sit with you a little bit. Right? Hey, let's just go out and get a little coffee. It's, it's pretty innocent. You know? It's no. No, I refuse. I will not go there. And I think, that, again, this is an example for us to be uncompromising in sin in our own, our own lives. I mean, sin is so deceitful and so tricky and it's so deceptive that it's kind of like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Right? Going out with, you know, this 
girl that, you know, I work with who's my coworker, yet, you know, my wife and kids are at home. We're just having coffee. It's not that big a deal. Or I'm just going out with this guy. You know, we're just chatting on Facebook, though my husband's, you know, back at home. It's not that big a deal. We're just friends. Sin is tricky and it's deceitful and it's sneaky and it's like a big hairy monster that starts off small. But when you feed it with a little bit, a little bit grows and becomes this uncontrollable thing that can wreck and damage and destroy our lives. And so he knows this and he's uncompromising in it. You know? He doesn't laugh it off. He doesn't chuckle it off. Oh, that's funny. Oh, no, nothing. Refuses it. But this is not a simple, small temptation for this man. It comes at him day after day after day. We don't know how many years it was day after day. It doesn't tell us, but it's day after day. It's persistent. If you think if he gave a little bit of room, if he gave a little bit of crack, you think, you think, I think she's just trying to wear him down, right? She's just trying to wear him down. But if he gave a little room, maybe she could have done that. Or whatever issue or sin is in our lives, if we give a little bit of room to it, a little crack to it, and it keeps pressing on us, it keeps pushing on us, over time it starts to wear itself on us. Over time we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it's not that bad. Oh, eventually, all right, I'll just give myself into it. But this comes day after day after day after day. He's refusing, he's resisting, and then it comes to a culmination. In verse 11, it says, but one day... When he, Joseph, went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were home, none of them were in the house, so they're all alone, in secret, in private. She catches him by the garment. She says, lie with me. Here's our chance. Here's the opportunity. No one's around. No one's looking. Lie with me. But he... I mean, you can just imagine the situation. He left his garment. He pulls himself. She's holding on to his coat. She, he pulls himself out of it. God, get away from me, right? He pulls himself out of me. Imagine the restraint this man is exercising. Maybe, God, maybe she wasn't good looking, you know. Who knows, you know. I, maybe God gave him grace and gave her a not very good looking woman. But I kind of don't think that's the case, right? So but he, he, he pulls out of this situation he leaves the garment in her hand. He flees out of the house. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. She's blaming her husband. Her husband brought among a Hebrew. She's, she's, she's kind of making these you know, excuses and starts to turn the story against Joseph. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. As soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought amongst us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice he, and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. Right? So she turns the story around on to Joseph to attack him and to blame him. Joseph here, again, sets us a, an example of a man who runs from sin. He doesn't compromise. He refuses. But then when it gets to a point where it's right in his face, he doesn't just sit around and hang out. He flees it. He, he, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm running. I'm fleeing it. I'm getting as far away as I can from this. He knows that sin brings death. He knows that this will destroy his life, even though things are going to get hard it's not going to be the same kind of hard as, if he, as if, he, if he had actually done this. 
It's a different kind of heart. So what this brings us to mind, it should, is in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through 20. There's a longer context to this. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Flee from sexual immorality. For all other sins a man commit are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is kind of reiterating or giving us instruction. Uh, it's, it's kind of telling us what to do from which what Joseph did do. Flee from sexual immorality. Your body is not just your own. The spirit, God lives in you, and that spirit is holy. It's pure. Sexual immorality, sex outside that defines that God created it for is not holy. It's not pure. It affects you in a deep, profound kind of way. He says it's different than any other sin. Other sins are outside your body, but this sin somehow is against your own very own body. Somehow it's a profoundly different kind of sin. He says, you're not just your own, you're God's. He purchased you, he bought you, he, he redeemed you to be his. So live in a way that honors God by how you, you treat your body. And men and women, I know, and I know we all know, and even though we don't talk about it a lot, this is the issue of our day. It is the issue of our day. We are living in a hyper-sexualized culture. It is so hyperly sexualized, it's all over the place. It's on the movies. We don't even think about it anymore, the things that we're seeing. It's on our TV, it's in our magazines, it's in our music, it's all over the place. We online, all these images come out, we don't even want to see them, they're popping up in our faces. It's just pursuing us day after day, day after day. We are living in an epidemic of sexual immorality and it's creeped into our fabric of our culture and it's like we're just being caught up by it and snared by it and just, just smashed up by it. You know that in the church, George Barna has done studies that 70% of the men are looking at pornography at least once a week. 40% of women, that's in the Christian community, that's in the church. 80% of Young men and women are involved sexually active or sexually active before marriage. This is something that's influencing all of our lives. And it's killing the souls of particularly men. It's trapping us. It's robbing us of the strength that God has designed us for and the leadership he's created for. It's putting shame into our lives and guilt into our lives. How can I disciple another man when I'm no good at following Jesus in my area of sexual? How can I lead others when I'm all caught up in this stuff? And so it just destroys the leadership that God wants to do through us and, and, and the blessing he wants to give through us into the world. It snuffs it out. And I'm telling you, you're not unique to be caught in this. We're all being bombarded by it. We're all being bombarded. And we need to support each other in it. We need to fight for each other. Thank you. Fight for each other. Men fighting for men. Women helping men. Women helping women. We need to fight for each other. Not feeling all condemned and ashamed, but realizing we're all stuck in this thing. This thing is bombarding all of us. We need to really come along and help each other because it's just going to just crush. It's, it's crushing, especially younger generations. There's a great, I just, if you get an opportunity to listen to a teaching 
by this man, Jeremy Darling. He's a friend of mine. It's on a website called Strong Disciple. The title is Pornography. It's, it's part one. If you get an opportunity just to listen to that, you will hear what is going on in our culture because of what is happening in pornography. You know, when I was a kid, you couldn't get uh, pornography very easily, right? Maybe you, you, we, you know, we would find a magazine here or there in some tree fort or something, tree house or something like that. Um, or, you know, a new uh, friend's older brother had some magazine. But even those images weren't that extreme. I mean, and, and it wasn't something that you were looking at all the time every day. You didn't really have access to it. You couldn't just go to the store and buy it. I mean, you had to be 18 or, or even if you were 18, you wanted to buy it. You know, you felt embarrassed like you are this pervert. And so it's like you just, there's all these barriers to getting it, to access it, to it. But you know what? That's not the case anymore. Young kids, it's in their pocket. We've got pornography stores in our pocket. We're carrying around with them everywhere we go. Kids are being exposed to pornography at young ages, age 8 and 11. This affects their minds. It affects their psyche. It changes them. It, it causes, it impacts them. And many of you men in this, room, in, in this room, maybe some of you women, have been exposed to that and are dealing with some of those ramifications for those things right now today. There's sexual dysfunction that's at a high, all-time high Sex trafficking is at an all-time high. It's all related to the pornography industry. Broken relationships, marriages that are being damaged and broken because of sexual dysfunction and just a wrong understanding of sexuality and men who are getting these ideas of what sexuality is supposed to be and trying to bring that into their relationships, but it's not really pure and healthy sexuality and it's just damaging relationships. And it goes on and on and on and on. I mean, I'm counseling. I've counseled young men that even a young man who has no desire for a real live woman because he has a certain standard of sexual um, uh, stimulate, stimulation that he, it, that is the only thing that will stimulate him. And it's a certain type of pornography that he has to watch and he does cannot be aroused by a real woman. But this is not uncommon. Time Magazine wrote a whole article about it. It's going to increase in our culture, and we've got to be ready. We've got to be fighting for it. This is a, this is a death trap, and we're in the mid middle of the blows, men and women. Um, Proverbs 7, 21 through 27 says, With much seductive speech, and pers uh, she persuaded him. This is talking about an adulterous woman, um, <clears throat> but it may not just be speech. It may be with seductive uh, visual stimulation. She, with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, she follows, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are, mighty, are the mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Men and, men and women, let's flee it. Flee, please. Because this is the end result. Pornography early in our, in our, in our youth Though we think it seems normal nowadays, it won't leave you once you're married, even though you think it will. You think it'll stop. Oh, now I'll have a wife and I'll be able to be satisfied. It's not going to leave you. It's going to increase. You need more of it. It needs to be more extreme. It, this leads to death. It's going to lead to immorality. It's going to lead to adultery. It's going to break and ruin your life. We need to learn to flee from it. 
And so you say, Todd, how do we flee from it when it's in my pocket? You know, how do I flee from it when it's right here on this phone every day with one click away? How do I flee from it when it's on my desktop, on my desk, in my office, on one click away? How do I get rid of this thing? It's like that woman, she's knocking on my door. She's every day pursuing me. You just need to get help, guys. We need to help each other. I don't want to say this to make us feel bad. I just want to say this like we need to help each other. We need to, you need to help each other, men. We need to come clean. We need to bring it into the light. We need to do what Jesus says is bring it into the light. Let the power of Jesus cleanse us from all this unrighteousness. Confess it to another brother, a sister, to a sister. Help each other in this. Take drastic measures if you need to. Jesus said, pull out your eye if it causes you to sin. Whatever drastic measures that may be, put some type of filtering on your devices, filtering on your phone, filtering on your computer, filtering on your router. There's all kinds of things today that you can do that can help. You know, sometimes you can get around these things, of course, but if you have someone else set the password, it makes it more hard. There's covenant eyes type of things that's, uh, that's programs where whatever you watch, it'll send it to a friend. Whatever links you go to, it'll send it to your accountability partner so they see what you're seeing so you can't hide things because it's all in the, in, it's, we keep things in the darkness and it's hidden and that's why it kills us. That's why he, Joseph was all alone. No one was around. That's the perfect place for the tempter to come in when we're all alone and no one's around. You're not alone in it. And if you're stuck in it, there's hope. There, you can be free. You can be restored. But we got to come clean. So I just want to encourage you men. I know this is a heavy little topic here. But, or, and women, what, talk to someone. Talk to an elder. Talk to a friend. Talk to a community group leader. Talk to me. Get this stuff in the light. If we're not going to be in the light, then the blessing God wants to put onto our lives to bring a blessing in the world will be snuffed out. And we won't be able to fulfill the purposes that God has. Even though he's sovereign over all of it, it will, it will hinder all the good that God can bring in through our lives. So Joseph runs, right? Joseph flees. Joseph says, I got to get out of here. I know this is going to damage my life. But it doesn't all go well for Joseph either. Right? It's actually going to go bad for Joseph. It's actually going to kind of turn south for Joseph again in his life. So let's look in 19. As soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever, there, whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. So amazing again, right? He's treated unjustly. He's treated unfairly again for the second time in his life. And now he's put into a prison, and yet God does not leave him. God does not abandon him. God does not reject him. God is with him. God says, says I show him my, he showed him his unfailing love so that Joseph would know that God is with him even in the middle of the suffering, even in the middle of the difficulty. God begins to bless his work again. God begins to make him fruitful again in this new context, this new level of difficulty, this new level of suffering. You see, God is working this out as he does work out the, the, the work in our lives. He's working this out to develop Joseph. Joseph is going to have to lead all of Egypt. 
He's working this out to test Joseph's heart. Is Joseph going to be a, heart, a man that's going to be a pure-hearted man and follow me or not? Joseph, he's, he's shaping Joseph through this. He's teaching Joseph that he's faithful and that you can rely, he can rely on God, that God's not going to leave him, that God's going to be with him, so that when he comes into a greater position of responsibility, he's going to know, he's going to be shaped by these trials, and his character is going to be molded to be able to accomplish God's work, which he's going to need to have for that work. And it's the same men and women for our lives. You know, what Potiphar's wife intended for evil, God intended for good. What the brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. Romans 8, 28 said, We know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God says he is for those who love God, he's working all these things together for good. And he's going to bring them into, the, into good. But our challenge is, for us is, will we wait on God in the process? Will we wait on God in the suffering? Not turn to the temptation to find relief or to find ease or say, you know what, God's just bringing all this hardship in my life. I'm just going to, I'm going to go after this thing that's going to make me feel a little bit better in the moment. The challenge is, will we, will we wait, will we turn to God, honor Him, fear Him, obey Him, even when it's hard? Each one of us are characters, right, in God's big story. We're not characters in our own story. The story is not about you. The story is about God, and we're all characters in that story. And He's using circumstances in your life, just as He was Joseph's life, to mold you and to shape you, to bring about His redemptive work into the world through you. And God is sovereign over our lives. He's sovereign over our nation. He's sovereign over the entire world. We look at our own lives and we go, oh, man, they're out of control and crazy. I don't understand why this is happening or where is God or what's going on. Or we look at our world, our nation, what's going on in our nation, what's going on in our culture. Why is it all crazy, all messed up? Or, or, or the whole world's all messed, it's all broken, it's all going to burn, right? Whatever we feel or think. But yet, is God not there? Is he not working out his divine plan today as he was then? Is he not promised to be with us as he promised to be with Joseph? Will we put our lives into his hands? Will we put our lives in the hands and totally surrender to him and say, God, you're good. I will trust you with my life. Even in the trial, even in the difficulty. I think that's the issue, the deepest core issue. Do we believe that God is good? That we believe that God is good and that he's working all things for his good, even in the world, even in our nation, even in our families, even in our individual lives. We believe that God is sovereign over all of it. He's moving it all to a gigantic redemptive plan, and we are all, each all characters in that plan to bring about good into the world as Joseph brought good into the world. And I believe the bottom of my heart, that God wants to do that in and through our lives and that there's a massive scene in our world right now that's trying to snatch men and women away from fulfilling God's purpose in their lives, which is sexual sin. We got to flee from it so we can fulfill the redemptive work that God has for us in this world, in this city, in our neighborhoods, in this church. This church is here not for this church. This church is here for the city. We need, to be, we need to be uncompromising with sin so that we can fulfill the purposes of God.
And when we get caught up in it, we don't just beat ourselves up in shame. Let's just bring it into the light and know Jesus forgives us and cleanses us and can, and can use us in the midst of all of our messes and all of our problems. It's not too late. You know, Joseph was an amazing man, an amazing man of faith, an amazing man of obedience, an amazing man who honored God in the midst of hardships. But let's not forget that there is one greater than Joseph. There's a man who was loved by his father, another man who faced temptation but overcame it. This man was a morally upright man. This man suffered unjustly, but in doing so, accomplished the purpose of God to pay for the sins of the world. This man, God, too, raised up to be a ruler, but not a ruler over in Egypt, but a ruler over the entire world, which who which all knees will bow one day. This is a man who provides food, not food like grain like Joseph would provide, but food for the soul. Even he's called the bread of life. He said, anyone who's hungry, come to me, or whoever comes to me will never be hungry and never be thirsty. See, this man is Jesus, and this Jesus saves our soul, and this Jesus cleanses our soul, and this Jesus blesses us with his Holy Spirit to redeem us, to renew us, to restore us. This Jesus is good, and he's working all things in your life to bring you into greater goodness and greater uh, reflection of his image and to, to heal all your broken wounds and to, to, to reflect his love into the world into a greater kind of way. And this Savior is trustworthy, and this Savior is good. He's not against you. He's for you, and you can trust him. I pray and I hope that we would be men and women who love him, who flee evil, who seek after his life so we would have his blessing and his life into our lives for the sake of our families and communities and for our world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just come to you humbly. Just come to you humbly, Lord. Oh, Lord, we are just broken people. And there are so many temptations that catch us not just sexual immorality, other things in our lives that we struggle with that, that pull us away from you or that we, we go to, we go after instead of you. There could be all kinds of different temptations we face. But I know that one particular temptation is a death trap to the human soul. Lord, I just feel like sometimes power, we're powerless over this great power that's just unleashed over our culture. And I just pray, Jesus, for your gracious hand to be on the lives of the men and the women in this church to live victorious and free from that particular trap. And that they could fulfill the blessings and the purposes that you have in their lives to be men of God and women of God and leaders for God's kingdom. Leaders in his church, leaders in their communities, leaders in their schools, in their kids' schools, leaders for their kids that they don't even have yet, that, God, you would preserve marriages for the sake of these children and their children's children, that you would preserve families, Jesus, as men and women pursue you. I pray your protection over this church, God, and that your hand would be on the lives of the men and women in the church, Lord. I pray they would persevere, not give up. They, they would wait on you. They would not give up. They did not turn to things that fulfill their soul for a moment, but doesn't fulfill their soul for eternity. It fulfills their flesh for a moment, but doesn't really satisfy their soul. I pray you would help them persevere. Help them know you're good. Help us all know you're good. Have mercy on us, Jesus. Forgive us all of our messed up sins. 
and let us see the grace and goodness of God even though we don't deserve it. So thank you, Lord, for your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.